listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast. My name is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me today. Our guest today is Joel Block, and our topic is selling intangibles. I've known Joel for years. I first met him at a National Speakers Association conference He's fantastic. He's got great ideas. He's a little bit different than most business people because he's done a lot more than most business people. He's a futurist. He's a longtime venture capitalist and hedge fund manager, and he lives in a Shark Tank-like world. I think you're going to get some great ideas from Joel today. Make sure you also check out the links and listen to his podcast called Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. I'd highly recommend that. Thanks for listening to the show. Hey, this is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. I've got with me a good friend of mine, Joel Block, and today we're talking about selling intangibles. Joel, thanks for joining me on the show today. Scott, how are you? I'm great. And you've got a sophisticated career background where you've done some high-level business deals in a very sophisticated area, and you've had to sell intangibles. Tell us a little bit about what that means. When you talk about selling intangibles, give us some working definitions so we can understand what we're all uh, going to learn from you today. Well, first, you know, having been in the uh, venture capital and the hedge fund business and being around startup companies, uh, companies that have ideas, I learned very early on that there's a real specific uh, formula and pattern for describing something that is maybe new that people haven't heard of before, something that's complicated, something that's unusual. And you have to really boil it down. And then having been in the uh, fund business, uh, I've raised a lot of money and I've been involved in an awful lot of, lot of deals. I, you know, I've raised probably $100 million from uh, generally from uh, accredited high net worth investors, so not institutional money. Right. And, and I've been involved in hundreds of millions of dollars worth of deals, the, the value of those things that I've been involved in. So I've been around the block a few times and, you know, and I've kind of learned a few things uh, from each trip around the, around the block. So tell me, what are the common themes from all these things that you mentioned? If we could boil down the common themes that you've seen in all those transactions, what do you think those are? Well, if I was to boil it down for most of the things that I see, which are somewhat complex, startup businesses, raising capital, investing in deals. But and what I'm going to tell you is different for, I think, lawyers and certain kinds of service jobs than what, than what I'm going to say. But, you know, number one for ours, it has to do with clarity and simplicity, making it very simple. Now, for service providers, because I'm a CPA, I started in the CPA business, so I, I know that space as well. You have to be clear. You have to be simple. That, that of course, is it goes without saying. But you know, you also have to take another little tack. And service providers have a special situation that they have to accomplish, and that is that they have to demonstrate their competence in order to instill confidence. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of a, a little pattern that has to happen, and it happens with things that they too have to demonstrate that they're competent. But it's a little different than a service provider, somebody that might be licensed by a state or regulated in some other way. Those kinds of companies, they have to demonstrate that they're good at what they do. And that helps people to relax and then absorb what it is that you're saying. And then you have to be clear. And so you, there's there's a couple of extra steps for service providers. And that starts with making sure that people know that you really are good at what you do. And how do you do that exactly? What do well, you just say? Trust me. Oh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, this is going to surprise okay. you, but, uh, 
you know, that's sort of what happens. Now, it doesn't happen exactly that way, but consumers, lay people, like when an attorney or a CPA or a doctor says something to you, like, uh, you know, you have this certain kind of problem, whatever, like we have a tax situation that we have to address. You have a legal situation, a medical problem, whatever the thing is. The person sitting there listening, they don't know if it's true or not. They don't know. They have no way to know. But what they can judge is the quality of the questions that you ask them. Right, right. If you ask them questions that seem on point to the consumer, the layperson, they're going to think to themselves, yeah, this person has been down this path a lot of times. I could tell they know what they're talking about because they were able to predict my questions. Because if they hadn't been down this path, they wouldn't have been able to predict my questions. Right. And, you know, as a venture capitalist, I look forward in time. I think about the future a lot. I'm sort of a futurist. I think about the future. I make predictions right. about the future. And I help people, uh, professional people and other people, think about their future as well. So if you can predict the kinds of questions that a person is likely to ask, then the person receiving the question is going to think, yeah, definitely this person must know what they're talking about because they they nailed it. They just totally figured me out. You know, it's funny when you talked about the quality of questions. When I used to own my recruiter training company, like that's when you and I met years and years ago before I sold that. That was something I would teach people is that people are making a judgment about you based on the quality of questions that you asked. And when I got into legal, I didn't know anything. So I couldn't really tell people, well, this is what I've done. I, I just have to ask questions. And I kind of figured it out by accident that if you can ask really good questions, they're going to make a judgment about you. Yeah, they have to be penetrating, probing good questions, like, uh, you know, really, really good ones. Now, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. It's really a lot simpler than uh, people would think. You know, <laughs> you've been on my podcast show and I always start every episode with a question. Right. And I always ask the guests to help me to develop the question. Like, what's a question that somebody, one of our listeners would be thinking about on your topic that you can answer? And a lot of times people will come up with a really complicated question. <laughs> I'm like, that's just not what people are thinking about. You know, like I'll, I'll talk, let's say I'm talking to somebody and I'll say, what's a question somebody might ask you? Well, they'll say, what's the implications of the 704B rules on transferring partnership property around? Okay. That's not what people are thinking about. That may be what you're thinking about as an expert, but that's not what people are thinking about is, can I do this transaction without any tax? Right. Yeah, that's something people would be thinking about. They wouldn't be thinking about the details of the underlying rules and everything that kind of impacts it. You know, when you kind of can think about it at the consumer level, all of a sudden, you know, you're bonding with them and they're starting to feel good about you because you're, you're not talking down to them you're not making them feel silly. Uh, you're not embarrassing them because they don't understand what you're talking about because people don't like to say, I don't really understand what you're talking about. Right, right. And if they get the sense that you're talking about stuff that they don't know what you're talking about, they're not going to feel comfortable going forward anyway. So let me ask you this then. If somebody who's listening to this right now wants to look at how they can get better at selling their intangibles, what do you think the first thing they should look at? Should they look at their strategy? Should they look at what questions to ask? What do you think should be some areas where they could really make the biggest improvement? Yeah, well, you know, first, so first of all, you have to be crystal clear about what you do and you have to use layman style language to describe it. It's got to be very, very simple. The second thing is you got to have some 
prepared questions. I call those likely to be asked questions. So not okay. frequently asked questions, but likely to be asked questions. And we actually use, uh, you know, in our marketing material, we use an LAQ instead of an FAQ. Mm-hmm. You know, because an FAQ, it, it just it just got a little bit of a different tone. So hmm. now how do you develop one of these likely to be asked questions, which is actually quite similar to a frequently asked question, except, uh, you know, you're kind of predicting, you're positioning it as predictive, which makes you look even smarter than you probably already are. And so here's how you do that, is get in the habit of when you talk to people on the phone, when you talk to people in person, they will ask you questions. Start writing down the questions that people ask you, because what you're going to find out is that most people ask the same kinds of questions over and over. Wow. There's a limited universe of questions that people will ask. And then let me, let me give you one of my great ideas, one of my great marketing ideas. You know, I talk to people about raising capital and doing some of these complicated things and people would ask me questions. So I started making these like Dear Abby style videos where people (laughs) write in questions you know, Joel, what's the difference between a syndication and a fund? So I would make a little video and I'd say, uh, you know, so-and-so from Omaha wrote me in this question and they said, what's the difference between a syndication and a fund? Well, Bill from Omaha, you know, and then I would go on for five minutes and I would explain it. And, And it became so popular that we ended up with a library of over 150 of these little five minute videos. And so now people come to these videos and who do you think the expert in the whole space is? Right. I mean, people, they, they look and they go, well, yeah, that guy's got the giant library, knows everything about it. He's a world authority. I mean, those aren't my words. I mean, that's what people say about me because I've taken a lot of my ideas and put them into a place that lasts forever. I was going to say, I like the circuitous nature of this is that you can take down the questions that your clients and prospects ask and actually use that as a way to create content with further substantiate your competence then. Is that correct? It creates additional credibility for you. And remember that the the credibility and the competence is what creates confidence on the part of the buyer. And the second thing is, it helps you stay in touch with what matters to your prospects. If people are saying to you, well, how do I know that the jury's going to agree? Okay, that's a basic question. And, And I don't know the answer, not being a lawyer, but I'm sure that there are three or four videos that you can come up with that are related to how that process works and how you present information and how you you use logic or whatever the things are that uh, that attorneys do, you know, that other lay people don't really understand. So what do you think has changed then with the crisis changing how we work, how people buy, how people do business? What are the biggest changes that you've seen since the crisis started to how we sell intangibles? Well, you know, listen, I... <laughs> Here's a little secret that I don't think most people probably know, and that is that technology is enabling us to do this better. Now, every everybody knows, you know, of course, I can get my databases and I can send out more emails and I can do all these things. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something at a way higher level. You know, people go on Google and they say, looking for an attorney for this problem. Well, there are companies that capture that data, and, and that's called intent data. A person is now in, they, they intend to take an action. They need right. something to happen. And you can buy databases of intent data. So then you call up the person and you say, uh, listen, we're a law firm specializing in this and this. Imagine getting a phone call 10 minutes after you do a search from a lawyer or from an accountant or from a recruiter or for whatever, when you're doing one of these searches. Now, it may just be that they're just sniffing around. That's possible. 
But I'll tell you what, this is real information and the internet has made it possible for us to know what people are thinking before they take any action. And this is the kind of stuff that very few people understand. They don't know about it. And you can get this information in very small geographies. You can get it across sectors. I mean, so you can operate inside your state or wherever you operate. And there's just all this information. And the other, the other is a conversational intelligence. And that is that when you're having a phone conversation, there are now software programs that will listen and suggest questions that you might ask. Oh, wow. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's become very sophisticated. There are incredibly powerful tools that have developed. So I don't know that the buying is all that different. I think people are just basically simple. As complicated as we try to make it, the truth is people are simple. Do I like the person? Do I trust the person? Do I feel comfortable? Do I yeah. feel good about myself in this environment? And if all those things kind of line up, then you know, you know what? I'd like to move forward with you. The goal is to get somebody to say yes. Let's put it like this. All CPAs within 95% are about the same as each other. All attorneys within 95% are about the same. All, you know, dentists, doctors, they're all, you know, everybody's kind of about the same. There are some that are a little better, some that are a little worse, but more or less everybody, you you don't get to that level of professionalism by being a schmo. I mean, you've got to be at a high (laughs) level, right? That's right. So they're really, you know, you can make a mistake because some are really terrible, but, but for the most part, Assuming you get a referral to somebody, whatever, and it, people really do make decisions the way that we're discussing about it. So are there any pitfalls, danger areas, potential potholes or speed bumps people selling intangible should watch out for as they're doing business? Well, you know, to me, the thing that, um, that people do, number one, is don't assume that the person understands, you know, exactly what you're about you know, until you've really kind of gone through whatever it is that they need to understand. You have to really be crystal clear. What do they need to understand? What are the main points that they need to understand? If you don't hit on those points uh, and the person leaves not understanding or they leave confused or they leave, uh, you know, with some kind of a gap, they're not moving forward with you. And then that's crystal clear. That's a pitfall. If you just are, are too fast, if you're too impatient, if you put your hand out too soon, you know, and you kind of act in a cheesy way, I think that really changes your your outcome. Now, different people have different brands. My brand is professional. I mean, I, I want to extend the courtesy of giving people as much time as they need to figure out whatever they need to figure out because many of us operate in a world where we're not inexpensive and people need to figure out what they need to figure out, whatever that is. Some people get ready fast and some people don't. But at the same time, you know, there and there are other people who just are a little more slimy or a little more slippery or a little little more, uh, you know, whatever they are, and and they they operate in a different way. That's kind of not my people, right? So have you have you seen professionals that sell? Have you ever seen any sort of I wouldn't call the mentorship groups, but cohort groups, peers working together, helping them to get better? I'm kind of wondering if you've seen that in dealing with professionals that sell, where they're you working know, together I, to try I, to. Um, you know, I, I have a mastermind group of uh, hedge fund managers that I run mm-hmm. uh, and I help them kind of get better at raising capital and doing some of those things. And not everything I do is in, in the capital marketplace. I mean, I, a lot of it is outside with other kinds of organizations, companies, associations, et cetera. And, and I, I keto conferences and I, I help a lot of different kinds of people to get better at these things. But at the same time, you know, 
I am sure that there probably are groups. Now, what's the quality of those groups? I don't know. What's the quality of the people? I don't know. I just know what I am. I, I just know how I think about these things. I have a lot of respect for my customers. I don't play around with them. I don't play games with them. I don't, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't a handful of techniques that help to prod them along. Of course there are, but, you know, for the most part, I don't sell things to people that I don't believe that they need. Right. Now, right. That being said, they may not understand that they need it. And as a professional, I know that they need it. And my job is to get them to understand that they need it. And then they'll move forward. So let me ask you about that. Let's say you're in a meeting, whether it's Zoom or in person or a phone call with a prospective client that's been referred to you. So we would hope that there's some trust that you've borrowed from somebody. You're starting to ask questions and you feel that you've displayed a good amount of competence. You found out what their pain points are. You've made a presentation of how you can solve it. You haven't made any assumptions. You've been crystal clear in a simple way. And they give you an objection. How do you think a professional that's the business is selling the intangible, how can they effectively overcome that objection? What do you think? Well, you know, it depends on what the objection is, and it depends on how honest the person is. You know, my experience is that uh, objections, first of all, old line selling will tell you that if people don't ask questions and make objections, they're not interested. Right. Objections are part of the process that, I mean, like they only ask questions if they're interested. So you want people to ask questions. You want people to push back. Uh, you know, you want a little bit of challenge. That's very important in the process. And you want some give and take And because uh, otherwise the body language of that discussion is that it's not going to move forward because the person's not really interested. Mm-hmm. The real issue is that very frequently people will overstate their situation. Like they have, they tell you they have more money than they really do. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they'll just make some assertions that end up not being entirely true. And then they're embarrassed to, uh, to come back and, and figure that out. So you just have to be a little sensitive about sometimes people trying to look boastful or look a little bigger than they really are. Right. Make some assertions that are not entirely true. And you have to be a little sensitive and you want to let people off the hook easy. And you don't want to, you know, you want to help them to save face. Yeah, that's great. That's a good point. So you kind of want to be uh, very gracious that if they said that, you know, let them kind of re- retract a little bit, you know, and don't make them feel bad for, for kind of overstating. Cause that's kind of what everybody puffs a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so they get to know each other and then they kind of back down and right. You no. Know, and so some of these things uh, just some, somehow being a little bit gracious goes a long way. So I think that's great advice. And I can definitely see that, that you get that puffery at some point in the beginning and you got to be sensitive to that. And I love what you said about giving people a chance to save face. I think that's always important. So if we were kind of going to give some recommendations for people going forward, what would be three action steps that you'd recommend that they take to kind of get started in integrating some of these ideas about selling the intangible? Well, first of all, is uh, make sure that your message is crystal clear. If a sixth or seventh grader can't understand it, then it's probably not clear. Right. And you don't need to go to somebody a lot younger than that because that's not <laughs> being a different story. But it's got to be crystal clear to a, uh, let's say a middle schooler. That's, right, that's sure, sure. Or two is start documenting questions and you know create a list of questions. And there are tools on Google, by the way, that people type in questions into Google millions and millions of times every day. You can actually get the questions that people ask about your topic. Believe it or not, there are tools that actually find those questions. There are tools that find out when people are, uh, you know, thinking about things. So you can use these kinds of technology tools 
you know, but you still have to get some basics under control. Number one, the clarity part has to be under control. Uh, You have to be able to really predict the kinds of questions people are going to ask. And that's really important. And the third action step is I would tell people to call me to get to to a next and higher level. Hmm. Because uh, although my great focus is not really on sales, it's really more on innovation, disruption, predicting the future and looking forward in time. If you can't sell, you can't really do anything else anyway. Yeah. And so I very frequently uh, will help companies to, uh, you know, hone their selling skills. I don't really put myself out so much as a, uh, a sales expert, although I w- would go toe to toe with almost any sales expert that's sure. out there. My real forte is, uh, is innovation, disruption, predicting the future, and really being what, what we call an advantage player. Casinos call people who play the odds advantage players. Those are the, the card counter types. That's you and me. I, I mean, I, yeah. I was a professional player and I, you too. And so I just, I play the odds and, and I know how to figure this stuff out. And I help companies to figure this out. And that's why companies love, uh, you know, the kind of work that I do is I help the salespeople. I help the executives. I help them all become advantage players and advantage players always stack the deck in their favor. And Joel, we're going to put all of your contact info and bio links and LinkedIn link on our show notes so people listening can go there and get in contact with you and elaborate a little bit more about your offerings. You said that you do keynotes and you also mentioned that you do consulting. Is there anything else you'd want people to know about what you have that can help them? Listen, I run a, I run a hedge fund. I mean, I've been in the hedge fund business for a long time and I'm actually thinking about starting a new, a new project and I've always got new projects going but companies will call and ask for you know uh, me to bring insights to them about you know how professional investors see the world, right? And and that usually starts in the form of a keynote. But then what happens is the companies will say, well, you know, I wonder, you know, what kind of new technologies there might be. Well, you know what? There's a lot of young companies that are launching new technologies, and if big companies aren't careful, uh, these little companies will come along and eat their lunch for them. And that's so they got to kind of keep an eye on it. And, uh, I frequently will help larger companies that kind of involve themselves in the in the venture capital ecosystem and, and help them to kind of understand how little companies operate so that they can get some advantages. That's exciting, Joel. So, there's a lot of things, but it frequently starts with a with a keynote or something similar. That sounds great, Joel. We're gonna put all your information on the show notes. Thank you again for being a guest on the show today. Hey, well, this is Scott. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.